It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. All right, Jeff, let's dive back into these questions and comments here on the uh, bonus audio edition for the audio feeds and the continuation of our Aloha live Friday edition of the locked on reds podcast. Uh, Charlie White also says, gosh, it's Friday the 13th. Again, the only thing scary here today, folks, is Jeff's takes about the win total at 75. It's it's terrifying. I did drive around it, to go pick up some baseball cards, and it started sleeting on me. And I'm like, this wasn't in the weather. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, Friday the 13th. It's just going to do what it wants to do, I guess. Oh, well. Seth Lewis checks in uh, with the DH talk. If if Steers at DH, who's going to play third? I, you know, that's the great thing. There's a few guys that can play third. Newman can play third base. Barrero can play third base. Steer can play third base. Uh, Jeff and I can't play third base. And Mike Moustakis is gone. So defense has improved here in Cincinnati for the 23-3 baseball season on the hot corner. They, they talked a lot last season, and it was something that David Bell liked to really – kind of dive in on is guys with positional flexibility and they have that in droves in fact the guy they got from the rangers nick solak he can play third base as well and i think he's going to primarily focus on the corner outfield probably mostly left field but they definitely have some guys that if they do want to give steer a day off from playing the field and being at dh then they can move somebody else to third base and i don't know that they would miss a beat uh defensively because spencer steer is adequate he's not He's not a minus at third base, but I don't necessarily know that he's such such a plus that if you put somebody else there, uh, you lose a lot defensively. Jim M drops in a comment about the bullpen. They haven't taken the next step to fix the weak true. bullpen. This is true, and I think the bullpen now, uh, I think we probably have to view the bullpen through the same lens as the rotation, which is if there's any additions to be made to the bullpen – They'll come mid to late spring training with incentive-laden deals, uh, creative signings uh, after other teams start making their cuts. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you. Like the more that I think about it, 
I think I'm kind of with you on the idea that if they were going to sign one, they probably should have signed a veteran bullpen guy rather than a veteran starter. Number one, it's it's a little bit cheaper. I mean, the Cubs got Brad Boxberger for like three million a year, and Brad Boxberger is a solid relief guy and you know former Reds prospect. So I, I think it would be interesting to see who becomes available in spring training. But also, this is another scenario where I think that Nick Kroll is choosing to wait and see because of all of the guys coming back from injury. And in their mind, they're like, if we can get two thirds of these guys coming back and pitching well, then we don't have to spend any more money here. We can save that money for something else. Jim brings up another great point and something we haven't talked about yet, Jeff. So uh, I love throwing these at you and we didn't prep for them at all. That's why I love the Aloha Friday shows, but he talks about the Forbes report. I think you saw it. I know that I saw it. Uh, Major league baseball set a record for revenue in 2022, $10.8 billion, uh, which is a breakdown. uh, Jim says of 360 million per team, no excuses other than lying to the fans about not having money, uh, instead putting it in their bank account uh, instead of investing it in the team. Uh, $10.8 billion in revenue, Jeff. That's a lot of money. Uh, and even when it's shared amongst all of the various franchises, it's still a lot of money before one single pitch is thrown. Uh, when when these types of stories hit the media, does it, do you think, go trying to trying to formulate what I want to say here. Does it go a long way in making uh, the Castellinis change their narrative of crying poor? You know, you can't, you can't have a record setting year of revenue at $10.8 billion. And then, you know, say, help me. I'm poor. Uh, when you're asked about investing in the team and trying to uh, put a better product on the field in 2023. Did the article say that, you know, this was revenue that was all shared equally. It didn't. That's just major league baseball's revenue. When you look at all of the TV deals and, you know, merchandising, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, their intake, their revenue was $10.8 billion, which is a record for major league baseball. That's the biggest problem is because when you look at the regional networks and, and how they bring in the revenue for each team, there are multipliers that have way more than the reds. I know that like, the Dodgers is something like four times as much. And like the Yankees is like six times as much. It's like a ridiculous amount of more money. It's not all shared equally. And that is exactly how the Reds would tell us that. And that's the most annoying part about this. And I I was excited the other day because I I saw a report that Major League Baseball hired a guy to be their director of regional networks, which is a step that they would take if they are going to put all of the regional broadcasting under their umbrella, which is a step toward ending the blackouts, which is massive. And I really want to see that one day, but also a step toward revenue sharing and, um, and a salary cap system. Now I'm not saying that that's going to be an easy process because obviously this is step one. They still have many, many steps to go, but also you're going to get a just tooth and nail fight from the players association and it's going to probably institute like another lockout and stuff, but it is the change that needs to happen because when you look at, and I'm not saying that Steve Cohen is wrong for the money that he was spending. I'm saying Steve Cohen has exposed the inadequacies of major league baseball. And I think that Rob Manfred and everybody's like, okay, we can no longer 
say that the luxury tax system in place is a soft cap because we got to do that's openly flaunting it. And we're going to have more owners come into the sport that openly just, all right, sure. I'll pay that luxury tax and I'll have a $800 million payroll. Like, you know, whatever, if you're going to let me do that. So I think that they are moving not only in the blackouts, but also to create a salary cap revenue, revenue sharing system, because this 10.8 million that Forbes is reporting, the reds did not get $360 million last year. No. And a couple things to just piggyback off of what you're saying. Number one, Steve Cohen is probably the most unpopular guy in the room at every single owner's meeting for (laughs) sure. Uh, You know, they're all talking amongst themselves and he walks in and they're like, yeah, there he is. Yeah, exactly. The next part of that is, listen, Rob Manfred has said that he is looking to move towards a way to get rid of the blackouts. Uh, I think the, the fan furor over it has finally reached a point where he has to pay attention to it and you know hopefully he follows through with that Uh, to your point about a salary cap uh, i will say this can that happen in the sport it can but it cannot happen i don't think my opinion it cannot happen without there being a prolonged work stoppage we're Mm. talking about probably the loss of an entire season in order to get that type of an overhaul to the way that the money changes hands in major league baseball. So they have a collective bargaining agreement. That's good for five years. Is that right? Jeff? I think it's 2026 or something. So three more, three more seasons after this one. So up until that, there's no way that those kind of changes take effect. Maybe the next time around uh, they'll dig into that, but just brace yourself. Because when that becomes a real viable option, we're looking at a work stoppage where we lose a baseball season. And that's sad, but I don't see any other way for them to get it done. No, yeah. And and I love the news update from the blackout extent, but I did think about that too. I'm just like, this seems like a step toward baseball changing its revenue sharing system to more of a cap model. And like you said, it's not going to be soon, but when it does, it, it, it will be it'll definitely be a war, but I think it's, I I honestly think it's kind of necessary at this point because you're going to have more Steve Cohen type dudes, not, not 30, but you'll probably have three or four more guys come in. And then you're going to have a tier, not just the Mets, but you're going to have a tier of teams that decide that the luxury tax does not matter and we'll pay whatever it takes. And they will be so far ahead of everyone else that the raise model might become moot Mm -hmm. at that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's when you look at it just right now, the Mets luxury tax, the luxury tax is more than the Reds payroll. And yes. and, and that is a system that is not sustainable. Uh, you can't have that big of a, a disparity in franchises. And it's not just the Reds, like their luxury tax is almost 115 million. Like the Reds payroll was 115 million last year, 115, 118. Ballpark, so, yeah. So it's not just this year's team. It's like the last couple of years. John checks in and this is interesting, Jeff. He says the tragedy of Nick Senzel and Jose Barrero is that it makes it hard for him to get hyped about the loaded prospect pipeline. Uh, This is, this is interesting take. And I ask you this, Jeff does things like this, things like the failure of Nick Senzel to establish himself as a superstar, uh, the failure of Jose Barrero to demonstrate 
uh, with any consistency at all that he can perform at the major league level? Do those setbacks, do those failures give you pause? Do they discourage you with what you see coming up through the minor league system? I think it would temper my expectations a little bit, but we you can go back and forth on hyped prospects who either kind of panned out like Jay Bruce, like, you know, had all this hype in the world and came up, maybe not necessarily hit what we thought his ceiling was going to be, but he was still very good. And then you have guys like, like Nick Senzel, you have guys like Billy Hamilton, you guys like Brandon Larson, you know, going, going back to that, it always happens. And there's always two ways to look at it. You can look at the guys who don't pan out and say, why should I think anybody else should ever pan out again? But then there's plenty of guys who come up and are the bee's knees and do pan out. I mean, and then you've got the bee's knees. Come on, man. Bee's knees. People say that. Um, (laughs) But, and there's, and there's some guys who kind of come out of nowhere as well. So I think that just as with anything in baseball, it's easy to get attached, especially when we've had such a run of unsuccessful years it's easy to say, yeah, it's never going to work out and we're going to be terrible for the rest of my life. But I think that there's plenty of things to point at. And, and the talent that the Reds have coming up is so much better than the talent that they've had for the last decade that it's not a case of overhyping prospects based on other prospects who don't pan out. It's the fact of these guys are just that talent. Jim has a great comment in regards to this. He says he agrees with John, especially if the same people that had responsibility to develop Senzel and Barrero are allowed to be anywhere near the top prospects that we traded for. Well, I can tell you that it is a dramatically, drastically different minor league system now than it was when Nick Senzel was coming up through the system and that it most part it was when Jose Barrero was coming up. The Reds have made wholesale changes. I mean, we all recall, you know, Kyle Bodie coming in, you know, swinging all the way away from the baseball people to a, just a solid hardcore hard right to analytics change. And then a course correction back towards the middle. A lot of people have come and gone along the way. So I would say that, you know, those fears are alleviated a little bit just with the changes that the Reds have made through that process. Cause that was something too. And I think that it's lost on the fact because they didn't do anything to the roster, but tear it down. But one of the things that Nick crawl did while he was trading away guys is that he was restructuring this, the minor league development system. And that's obviously not near as grabby as the fact that he just trade, he just handed uh, Wade Miley to the Cubs, which by the way, didn't work out. Um, but it's, it's just as important when you're talking about these talented dudes in that the guys who are developing the current crop of talented prospects are absolutely different from the guys who developed uh, the guys like Nixon Zell. No, you're yeah. I, I think you and I are, are, are pretty much in the, in the agreement as to what's going on there. Jim also, you know, brings up the bullpen again. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I don't think that that's a flaw because I agree that the bullpen has, has been, for years how what three years now jeff two years three years we've been talking about this bullpen needs somebody and they haven't done it Uh, you know jim questions the strategy of waiting for leftovers and then hoping and praying for success and uh, you know i'm torn with that just when we're talking about the bullpen not the other aspects of the team 
right. just the bullpen, just relief pitchers, because these relief pitchers, you just never know who's going to be good from year to year. And one year they're great. The next year they, they can't they. get anybody out. And, you know, sometimes, you know, a guy within one season, you, you put him on a different team his scenery changes and suddenly nobody can hit him. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily think it's, it's that big a stretch and that bad of an idea for Nick crawl to go out you know, late into spring training and bring in some guys that just couldn't quite get it done with whatever team they were with and use those type of players to, to put some veteran presence and round out the bullpen in 2023. The thing about the bullpens, I mean, they're just so fickle. The, the guys who are good, the guys who are bad can be the same guys year to year. I mean, and just little things can affect them because Last year on opening day, I could tell you one thing for certain that the Milwaukee Brewers had the best bullpen in the division. And then they traded Josh Hader midway through the season, and that bullpen got bad. And they didn't really get rid of anybody except for Josh Hader. And they still had Devin Williams. They still had Brad Boxberg at that point. They still had Eric Lauer and all those different dudes. And they just completely flipped. I don't know what happened there. It's just this weird, they all kind of get, it's almost like a bug, right? They all get infected by it. And I think that when you have a guy like Alexis Diaz who can anchor the bullpen, I don't necessarily think you have to go all out and go sign. You know, like I know some folks have have approached about, like, why don't they go get go bring a Roldis Chapman back? It's like he's going to cost way too much money. Uh, you're not going to pay that much money for a Roldis Chapman because you're getting a shell of a Roldis Chapman, not the guy that we stood and and – you know, cheered as Thunderstruck played and he ran out of the bullpen to throw 105 miles an hour. He doesn't do that anymore. So there's different things when it comes to a bullpen working out that I I know that this team has way too much hope in guys getting back healthy and, and Alexis Diaz continuing his development and becoming even better than he was last year. But I understand why they didn't throw everything at it because there are days when you're sitting there and you're watching i'm just going to pick a name out of a hat jeff hoffman give up like five runs and blow a game and you're just like why don't they throw the book at this bullpen and fix it but there's also those days where ian jabot and there i say hunter strickland and alexis diaz combine for three innings of shutout baseball it just happens Larry Keller checks in and this one, I don't know what to do with this one, Jeff, but he wants to give Nick Senzel one more shot and he wants him to be the starting second baseman moving India to the outfield. There, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I don't have a problem moving Jonathan India to the outfield. In fact, we've talked about this a couple times. I'm actually all for it, but we're doing that to make room for other guys that are coming. We're not doing that for Nick Senzel. Um, I guess if you did that to start the season, then Spencer Steer doesn't necessarily have to be your utility guy. He doesn't have to be the super utility. Senzel could be the super utility, but then there's still nobody to play center field. Um, I, I just, I can't see a scenario where Nick Senzel really gets any infield time at all. Um, no, at the, least the early only, on. The only way I see that happening is if your dream comes true and Matt McLean takes over center field mm-hmm. and then they're like, okay, Nixon Zell can be our super utility guy and move around. I do kind of agree with his point about Nixon Zell kind of being on his last shot. Like he, if he goes another year with negative war and he's batting 215 and he's getting on base 28% of the time, I do think that the Reds really look hardcore 
at replacing his spot on the roster next season. Let's blow on through some more of these, Jeff. Uh, another interesting take from Jim. Uh, you know, Bob Castellini is helping make the city a football town. If the Bengals win the Super Bowl, fans will save their money for Bengals tickets. Uh, why watch a loser th that Bob is okay with? Uh, you know, I like getting into these every once in a while, Jeff, just because Bob Castellini is not going to keep me away from the ballpark. And does it benefit Bob when I go down there? Probably a little bit. I don't know the way that um, Jeff and I do <laughs> our ballpark experience. Um, not a lot of that money goes to Bob, I don't think, but who knows? Uh, at the end of the day, Cincinnati's always going to be, you know, always going to be a baseball-ish town. You know, the Bengals will have ebb and flows of success and they'll take away from some of the popularity. Uh, but the town's always going to be kind of a baseball gig in the summer, especially when there's not a whole lot else for people to do. They're going to go down to the ballpark and, uh, you know, you can you can choose to withhold your dollars from Bob Castellini and I'm not going to judge you not one little bit but I'm not going to do that. He's not going to keep me away from great American ballpark, which is one of my favorite places anywhere in the country. So, you know, I'll continue to go and spend a little bit of money. And if that helps Bob have to sell one less head of lettuce, cool, you know, happy to help. One of, uh, one of my favorite things to do, and I live near there so I can do it is, is walk around land and lake and, on land and lake, you have all these people that have way more money than I do, and they have TVs on their back porches, or they have sunrooms with TVs that you can see. And during a spring night or a summer night, when I'm walking around the lake listening to the game on my phone, I'll see plenty of them with their TVs on watching Reds baseball. Like it just happened. People just watch the Reds, and even if they're bad, I, I don't think they'll go down to the ballpark as much because we saw that this past season, where I'm pretty sure there are some nights where the Cincinnati Cyclones are out drawing the Reds. Um, that, that happened this past year, but I don't think it's a situation where you'll ever see the scale tip to the point where people will choose the Bengals over the Reds simply because they're not really juxtaposed where you have to. And, and as a consumer, you can be like, well, yeah, the Bengals are away this week and I can go to a Reds game or something like that. And, and they've made it, especially with different apps and stuff like that. It's so easy to get into the ballpark for cheap when they're bad. I, I think they kind of know like supply and demand, it all works out. I don't buy the fact that people are Bengals fans over Reds fans. Uh, I do agree that, you know, the city gets more excited whenever the Bengals are successful and the Reds aren't, but that's just human nature. I mean, Kansas city is way more of a chief's town, but would you ask them in 2015, if there are Royals or a chief's town, well, they're pretty happy with the Royals in 2015. So it just, it happens with success and with most casual sports fans, that's how it goes. If you're winning, we're there, period. But when you're hardcore fans like me and Steve, we're just going to be there all the time. That's just and what there, we do. And there's ways to do things at Great American Ballpark and not drop tons of money on tickets to get in. You know, the yeah. way that, you know, Jeff and I a lot folks uh, we'll buy you know cheap tickets and we never sit still we wander the ballpark and a lot of that just has to do with getting to talk to all of you guys uh, you know i've been blown away by fan interactions at great american ballpark from people that are listening to the show and that's always great but jeff and i wander around we hit the bow tie bar you know we do the pregame out at the beer garden before the is that what's called the beer garden i can't remember uh, yeah, Budweiser beer garden Bud or whatever. Beer garden, something. You know, the five dollar beers before the game starts. We start there. We want Budweiser Garden Bar. That's what it is. That's yeah, the one. Bar. 
and and we don't really sit still a whole lot during the game. We kind of are moving around all the time, and that's well, great. And great you American know, has great standing room only places too. Mm-hmm. I think that is that's a key thing. Like you can stand in the middle of center field and watch and have the city backdrop and all that other stuff, and you can stand at the bow tie bar and get a great get a great view. And you can buy a ticket to set up at the top of the stadium and never walk up to your seats and, and still have a great experience. And, and we've done that. And we've done Austin. That. <laughs> Austin checks in and says uh, in our lineups conversation yesterday, Jeff, he thought uh, we'd have Stevenson third and Votto fourth and was surprised that neither one of us did. Listen, there was a time when that's how I would have done things. Joey Votto would have been the cleanup guy. And that would just been the way that it was. Those days are over. Tyler Stevenson is the big bopper of this lineup. Tyler Stevenson is the masher. He is the cleanup hitter and he's going to be there for years to come. And we, I, we just have to, we have to face the facts that we have an older uh, Joey Votto that we have to treat a little bit differently. And I still think he's going to put up some numbers, but he's not the guy that I'm putting in the fourth spot in the cleanup spot. I can kind of see where he's coming from with this point because, you know, you get X amount of at-bats. I forget exactly how many more, but you get X amount more at-bats if you bat third all year than if you bat fourth. So maybe the Reds would want to maximize that. But I also think that the Reds have a couple of guys that have the plate discipline and the ability to get on base necessary to be there for Stevenson to drive them in that I think I still kind of want him fourth to maximize that Ryan, that, that run driving in potential. I just tried to say like three words at one time there. Um, but the driving in potential that Stevenson brings to this lineup. Greg Land- Landweir. I, I really, I'm going to butcher that, Greg. Greg, thanks for putting a comment. He says he loves the start of the season lineup prediction podcast that Jeff and I did yesterday. Uh, he'd love to see what we think the final lineup will should be, what kind of thoughts we have. Here's the deal. I have thoughts and Jeff has thoughts and most of his are wrong. And most of mine are no, no, No. there's, there's, there's a lot of wiggle room here. Uh, The problem right now, Greg, is there's so many variables that we need to see play out just a little bit. There's guys that we want called up that may not be called up. There's guys that we want to have rebound seasons that we don't know what they're going to do yet. Uh, This type of a prediction, the final lineup, what it will should be, what that looks like. I think that's more of an all-star break kind of conversation after we see how a few things play out. At least that's my opinion, Jeff. I mean, I don't think there's there's just too many things to guess at right now to kind of come up with where we're at at the end of 2023 yeah i'd agree because there's three guys that i need to see called up before i make a determination on what the best lineup looks like and that's ellie de la cruz christian encarnacion strand and matt mcclain because i think that of the guys who have the ability to be called up this season those are the top three guys who could transform this lineup and transform the reds defensive positioning in a lot of different ways so until those guys are up and I would tentatively have them in my final lineup, but I got to see what they can do at the major league level first. Seth Lewis checking in, (laughs) bro. I'm excited about another Nick, Nick Lodolo, you and me both Seth, you know, I think I'm looking for big things. I think Nick Lodolo will be an all-star this year. I think that he will be the number one starter in the rotation. I think he will pitch in the all-star game this year. And I think he will continue to get better. Uh, I think, I don't even think he'll achieve his ceiling this season. I think he has years of growth uh, and he's going to be great, but we'll still get better and better and better. He's an ace, and I, I'm excited to see what he does this year. Yeah, I'm 
I I think his next step is going to be so interesting to see because if he can clean up that back foot breaking ball just a little bit, still leave it on the back foot but not hit the back foot, and maybe mix in something else that breaks away, like you know you have that break breaking ball that breaks in toward right-handed hitters. If you can come up with something that kind of moves away from right-handed hitters, then he's going to become just a phenomenal pitcher because there, there were some guys, some uh, different national analysts and some guys who watch baseball of all these other different teams and stuff that are just like, you know, I'm not going to say that he's totally there just yet, but I'm kind of evoking memories of uh, Randy Johnson watching him pitch. And I was just like, oh, baby, if that's what he ends up being, let's go. Seth also agrees with you, and I'll, I'll let you run with this just for a second because he thinks it's going to be Spencer Steer's year, basically. And this is the same thing you were saying yesterday. Yeah, he he showed the ability for me to have good plate discipline, and I think that a lot of different things can branch out from that. I mean, if you're able to see the ball the way that he did in that little bit of playing time that he had, then when you give him 300, 400, 500 at-bats, you're going to see that production because we didn't see it. Like people are going to point at his batting average and say, well, you're really excited about 221 and you're really excited about a slugging percentage under 400. That's a tiny sample size. And I think that we are going to see a lot more of it from him. We're going to see a better batting average. I think he can hit around 260, 270. I think he can slug around, you know, definitely over 400, maybe close to 440, maybe 450. So I think he's an 800 OPS guy. Like I think that, he is the kind of dude, and it was interesting to me that Fangraphs listed him as the Reds' number two prospect. I kind of think that's wrong, but I find it interesting that they have that much intrigue in Spencer Steer, and I believe that he can definitely be a key piece to this line. He's going to be one of my favorite things to watch. Whenever we do, you know, when we get into spring training, we start looking at key players to watch this year. He is absolutely going to be very high on my list. Jim asks a, a great question, Jeff, and we don't talk about this very much, but we'll, I, I'm willing to go he, here for a second. Jim asks, is there any chance that we could get a front office person on the show to take questions? The short answer, Jim, is no. Um, I will We've tell tried you, in the past. Jeff has tried. I have tried. Um, we do know and we are, we are certain that the front office is aware of this program. Um, sometimes I say things about the SOB that's son of Bob, Phil Castellini, that probably means we're not going to get front office people on the show. Uh, we will continue to reach out. You know, I would love an opportunity to have a sit down with Nick crawl hmm. and, uh, we're going to continue to try for that, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, there are some other people within the reds organization that don't necessarily support, uh, podcasts and don't support anything unless your name is the inquirer or the athletic basically i mean we'll just call it like it is as long as those people are still around we probably won't get those guys on the show but jeff and i are, are both pretty dedicated to trying so you know i know that we're going to continue that and maybe one of these days we'll get lucky jeff yeah you know we'll see i keep trying to ask keep trying to tell him hey we gave nick crawl on a plus like would you like to come talk to us about that a plus but yeah well we'll see what the future holds there because not going to stop trying for sure because we love the reds and i think that it would be very beneficial to for us to get to talk to them and and hopefully for you know you watching and um you listening will klein asks do you think that steer could be a dark horse candidate for rookie of the year um 
I'm I'm still I mean I I I don't think I saw the same things that you saw Jeff uh with his limited time in the majors. I mean, we saw it in the minor leagues, but you know, I have gotten real reluctant to to let that translate into excitement at the major league level. I kind of need to see it at this point um with some of the things that have happened over the last few years, but I mean, I guess it's possible. I mean, what do you think? What's the level past dark horse like dark mule like mule's not quite a no, horse that's like not a dark how that works no um, you think he's more than a dark horse candidate is that what you're trying yeah to say? You i don't necessarily a, a know that i want to go as far to say as he could be an award winner but i think he's going to be good i think he's going to be a step toward positivity where it comes to the idea of the reds trading for an unestablished player and then making him established as a red i think he is going to be the gateway, if you would, to us getting so excited about Ellie De La Cruz and us getting so excited about Noel V. Marte and guys like that, that we'll see Spencer Steer and we're like, okay, okay, see it now. Because remember, for years, we heard that the Reds had all these young pitchers that were coming up, guys like Sal Romano and, and, and guys like that that came up and they just weren't that good. You know, Cody Reed and, and Brandon Finnegan and all that stuff. And we were just like, okay, how are we going to get excited about stuff now? But then there's Hunter Green and there's Nick Lodolo and guys like that. They just had more talent. And Spencer Steer has more talent than some of the guys that we've seen come up through this farm system in a, in a, in a long while. So I think that Spencer Steer is going to be good, but I don't know that I put him in a conversation for Dark Horse and a rookie of the year. Plus, I'm not really sure who's in that conversation just yet. I haven't looked at that. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's do this one. Austin asks... Uh... Who has a better year this year, Green, Lodolo, or Ashcraft? I've already made my pick in Nick Lodolo. I think he is going to be the ace of the staff. I think the other guys will play some catch-up, but they will not surpass him in 2023. I'm curious about that because Green really showed some intrigue there at the end of last season, controlling his fastball, commanding his fastball, putting it where he wanted if he comes in and he starts showing a changeup, starts showing that third pitch and continues his fastball command, it's going to be hard to not say Hunter Green. Graham Ashcraft, I love, but he's so different from the other two guys. He's very pitch efficient, pitch to contact, get out of the inning quickly. So numbers-wise, it's going to be a little bit harder, and you're going to have those peripheral arguments where it's like, well, his K per nine is not as good. His, his, walk percentage, his walk percentage is going to be fine. He doesn't walk people. But, you know, maybe he gives up some more hits and things like that. He's just good at limiting damage. And, I mean, it's still going to be good, but I don't know that it's going to be as good as the other two guys. Austin asks, which lefty hitter gets helped the most by the new shift rules? Joey. Uh, I, I think a healthy Joey Votto. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you, wanna, if you want to expound upon that a little bit, I thought it was interesting. I, I know you probably saw this. Uh, Joey put some stuff out there talking about what he tries to do with the ball when he's hitting and, you know, what he considers to be like the ideal hit to, you know, just to basically left of center. Uh, I think that if he's trying to do that and with the new shift rules, he probably uh, sees the most uptick in his counting stats. The the thing that you always remember early Joey Votto doing when he wasn't hitting home runs is that he had a knack for hitting a soft liner that was over the second baseman's head and dropped in front of the right fielder, whether it be in right center field or or, or you know straight away right field. It, it was always this like looping liner that was just able to get him a single. 
it would drop in. If there was somebody in scoring position, they came around to score. That was vintage Joey Votto if he wasn't smacking dingers or if he wasn't getting a walk. And then with the shift and with the extreme deep infielder in the second base hole that was standing right where that line drive would fall, you saw so many good, solid, hard contact that he had just go right into the glove of the guy that was standing right there. It's almost as if, and I know that the shift was meant for lefties as a whole, but it's almost as if when they came up with that shift plan, they're just like, watch Joey Votto. This is what we need to stop with this shift. And now that they can't do that, I'm going to be interested to see how his batting average is affected because I think it's going to tick up quite a bit. Hey, my guy, poofy haired fancy boy makes an appearance. Finally, how we looking? We are always looking great. My friend, good to looking see orange you. and black. Thanks for watching the show today. Hey, here's a non red story, but I kind of like it. Uh, let's talk about it for uh, just a second. Wait, I clicked the wrong one. Sorry. There we go. Uh, <laughs> McCutcheon is a pirate again, Jeff, and it feels like just a really fun homecoming. And it's kind of what I wanted to see for the Reds with Johnny Coito uh, and the pirates are doing it with McCutcheon. And uh, this, I think this is a kind of a feel good story. I think McCutcheon has some baseball left in him and it'll be fun to see him in a pirate uniform again. I don't remember any heated moments that Andrew McCutcheon star. Andrew McCutcheon is an awesome dude. That those no, Clint Hurdle is gone, and he was the biggest problem in yeah, Pittsburgh. Clint Hurdle and Chris Archer, but um, I, I think that I mean I thought that was an amazing move by them. It's an amazing move for him too because you can you can kind of tell McCutcheon's getting toward the end of his career, so he can retire a pirate this way. But I think that this is a nice move because they've made a couple of different nice moves that you're you're not going to say that they're going to win the division, but they're probably not going to lose a hundred games either. Seth Lewis checks in. <laughs> this will be fun. Uh, Jeff needs to only worry about if Bob Castellini has invested in Frybox. Uh, the listeners pay attention when you talk, Jeff. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, I'm missing me some Frybox. Need need some buffalo chicken Frybox, man. I was scrubbing through my uh, photo reel on my phone because I just got a new phone, and I was like, let's make sure I'm not using up too much memory. Like four or five pictures of some good fry boxes I had this year. Nobody so. has ever accused you of using up too much memory. <laughs> Randy, Randy checks in and says that we need Nick Senzel because there's no one else to play center field. We agree. Uh, but he brings up Michael Siani, and we haven't talked about Siani in a while, Jeff. Do you think Siani is a contender to to sneak in and steal some playing time? Um, I don't know that he's quite ready for prime time yet. I don't think on opening day, I think he starts off in triple a, but I think that he's one of the first guys on Nick crawl speed dial for a call up. I've seen some interesting stuff. There's some folks who think that Michael Ciani can kind of be a little bit uh, valuable to the reds. And I deleted it off of our, off of our nice little uh, graphics list here to use. But even in Dan Samborski's early zips projections, he had Michael Ciani listed as a possible center fielder. So I don't necessarily know that he's going to get it right out of the gate, but he really could push for some playing time in June. If Nixon Zell's not taking that step forward, like we hope he can. 
Will Klein asks if there's any chance we can get some of these prospects on the pods. Well, I will tell okay. you folks that uh, this offseason we've had Tyler Stevenson on. If you go back in the archives to the lefty in the bullpens that I've done, uh, I've talked with Spencer Steer already. I've talked with a couple other guys. I talked with Matt McClain, uh, did some other interviews. Those will continue. Uh, Jeff and I, I will try Spencer and get some Steer of right them. before he got called up too. Uh, in fact, you know, that was, that was a scramble. I was talking with his representative and he's like, when do you want to do this and i'm like i want to do it today because he's not going to be around much longer and i barely got that interview in before he got called up so we're going to continue to do those kind of things folks uh jeff and i will try to get some of them in the main audio feed i really enjoy doing the long form interviews that don't necessarily lend themselves to the to the actual main feed of the podcast so i'll pull those off into the lefty in the bullpen segments uh the ones that we can make fit into the podcast feeds we'll have them on jeff's got some stuff cooking with major leaguers i know that we may see a lucas sims appearance here pretty quick bronson arroyo will be back before his uh, hall of fame induction into the reds hall of fame there's lots of guests coming uh the Reds beat writers, the radio guys, you know, Chris Welch will be cycling through. Sadak will be cycling through. We've got names coming for you folks. Uh, uh, we have, we have been tremendously lucky in the relationships that we have forged along the way, both Jeff and I, and we're going to have a lot of guys that know a lot about Reds baseball coming at you all season long. Exactly. Yeah. We got to get us a uh, Lucas Sims update here soon. It's about the time of year we usually talk. So. Hey, our, our buddy Scott Campbell says to just send him any of the questions we have for the front office. He'll ask Phil at the caravan stop. I don't know. Listen, if you guys weren't at Reds Fest and if you were, if you happened to be listening on the radio when Phil was being interviewed on the radio and you heard Phil being booed, uh, that was our man, Scott Campbell. Uh, shout out to you, Scott. Way to go. Because Jeff wouldn't let me do it. I tried. He told me no. He made me behave. <laughs> I think it was on the Red Leg Radio Report too. Which, yeah, which I, I think that's show. right. Yeah, I'm scrolling here, Jeff. Uh, talk. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I am looking forward to this spring training, though. I, I think that there's going to be a lot of dudes that we start to see prove themselves a little bit. Michael Ciani is, is near the top of the list, who I'm very interested in because, like we said, he's a light hitter who doesn't quite have the bat. He didn't have the hit tool that, you know, Nixon Zell was reported to have and stuff like that throughout the minor leagues. In fact, we've talked to Tom Nichols plenty of times where he's just like, Michael Ciani is one of the most impressive fielders I've ever seen. And I don't think that there's anyone better in the organization defensively than Ciani is, but I don't know that he can hit. And if he can't hit, there's no such thing as a light hitting center fielder anymore. So I, I wonder if he can develop that. And I think he's going to get the opportunity too. We talked about this lineup and how there is ample opportunity for somebody to step up and take a job in 2023. And he's got to be on the short list of guys who are at least going to get a look. Let's hit a few more of these before we call it a day, Jeff. Uh, and I know this next one is a topic you're very excited about. Uh, Tyler says he is excited to see a healthy Jake Fraley hit at Great American Ballpark for a full season, uh, at least against right-handing pitchers uh, with no shift, uh, helping him as well if he was you know, to be able to bat against lefties, I guess. Uh, Fraley has shown some opposite field power. Uh, He's been a pretty good player, and you're you're like super high on Jake Fraley. Love me some rake. K 
can't wait to see him. And and yeah, like he showed a completely different side of himself because that first month he was struggling so mightily. And then he, he went down with the injury. He went down to AAA, worked on some stuff, came back, was a completely different hitter. And I think we will continue to see more of that because he's been doing you know, that uh, doing those workouts throughout the offseason, getting ready for the season. I think he's going to come ready to hit, and I think he's going to come ready to prove that he's more than just a fourth outfielder on a possibly good Reds team here in the next couple of years. Well, I think for sure in 2023, he'll, he'll be a starter in the corner, one of the corner outfield spots until somebody can take it away from him. I'm interested to see if the new rules in regards to the shifts and and some of the changes they made makes him a little bit more of a viable option outside of a platoon situation. Um, And we're just, we're not going to know the answer to that until we see it, until we see how, and, the players respond that are batting until we see how the defensive arrangements respond. If the guys try and skirt the rules or, or get cutesy with windmills that we talked about for defensive alignments, uh, you know, there are some things that could be done. It'll be interesting to see because I think that uh, if he can hit a little bit against left-handed pitchers too, you know, he could, he could play in a lot of games for the reds in 2023. I think so, and I'm I'm very curious to see because he's a guy, and I think that you know we need to have a couple of episodes where we split guys up into guys who just need to prove that they need to be on the roster this year and guys who need to prove that they can be on the roster moving forward. I think he's a guy who's on the list that needs to prove he can be on the roster moving forward. He's a shoe-in to start most of the year this year, if not all the year, but when you're talking about when this roster is ready to compete, are they going to be able to rely on Jake Fraley? And I think this is an important year for him to prove that that's the case. Greg asks, does Matt McClain make his major league debut in the outfield? And I feel like this is probably directed more towards me. Um, no, I don't think he debuts there. I will say that uh, I do expect to see him in 2023. I think he'll debut somewhere on the infield just because it, it would be the the least amount of pressure on him to make his debut. Uh, but I will say that we see him in 2023 and he does play outfield in 2023. Now, how much he plays out there. A lot of that depends on what they do with some of the other guys, uh, what they do about possibly moving Jonathan India off of second base to another position. Some of the time there's a lot of variables there, but Matt McClain will play in the outfield in 2023. As far as I'm concerned. I think there's a couple of things, and maybe maybe you disagree with me on this, but I think there's a couple of things that will happen before we see Matt McClain in the outfield. I think we obviously see Nick Senzel. I think we see Michael Ciani in center field. And I think we see Jose Barrero in center field before we see Matt McClain in center field. Because that's where I think I, we'll see him. I don't think we'll see him in the corners. I, I agree with you with everybody except Ciani. I, I can see scenarios where we don't see him on the major league roster at all, unless there's injuries that kind of derail things. Um, I feel like a lot of these other guys are going to very quickly, very clearly leapfrog him in the pecking order uh, here early on in 2023. So I don't necessarily expect to see Siani, Um, but the other guys. Yeah. uh, I agree with everything else you just said, other than Siani being in the mix on that one. He's not a plan B plan C type guy. I think McLean is more of a plan D or plan E when they get to that, if they get to that, hopefully one of the reasons that Michael Ciani was on this roster last September is just because it was so depleted after they 
made so many different trades that they had to because, well, they need to put 26 guys out on the field and they need to have, you know, five, six guys who could play outfield. So he had to be up here. Well, I've said it a bunch of times. It was either him or you. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> there you go. And on that note, I think that is probably going to do it for this Aloha Friday live edition of the Locked on Reds podcast. For all of you guys that have spent uh, a little bit of time talking Reds baseball with us today, thank you so much. I, I tell you guys every week, this is my favorite show of the week. I love talking Reds baseball with you guys. Uh, I can't wait till the season gets started and we can do it live down at Great American Ballpark. We can continue these conversations on Twitter. Make sure you're following both Jeff and I and the show uh, I look forward to these. Can't wait to do it again next week, Jeff. Uh, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on Fridays. Uh, if you guys have ideas about things you would like to see as far as live shows go once the season starts, start sending those messages to Jeff and I. Start dropping them in the comments. Uh, we're cooking up some plans, but uh, would love to hear from you all about how you would like to see this continue once the season starts, uh, what types of interactions you would like to have, what kind of coverage you would like to see from us uh, centered around the Cincinnati Reds. And with that being said, Jeff, go ahead and wrap us up. Thanks, everybody, for joining in, for commenting, and for sending your questions along. You can always check us out. Three days a week throughout the offseason, we're going to be five days a week once pitchers and catchers report back here in a couple of weeks on February 14th. Uh, so make sure that you check us out. If you're not following the podcast, follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms. And right here on YouTube, if this is your first time watching us, thank you so much. Make sure you're subscribed and you click that bell to get notified whenever we've got new content for you. But that's going to do it for us here today. Now make sure you go check out Locked On MLB Prospects as you will learn something whether it's about the Reds farm system or someone else's farm system from Lindsey Crosby. Locked on MLB prospects is just like locked on Reds. It's free and available on all platforms, including right here on YouTube. Steve and I will be locked on Reds every single day. So make sure you join us. Hey, prime members, you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on Amazon music. Download the Amazon Music app today.